As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Arrives the Assembly's special session. Third, all in favor say aye. Those opposed no. The ayes have it. The Assembly stands adjourned until Thursday, September 3rd. Today's special session of the state legislature over in 30 seconds. The governor used his constitutional power to call this special session on policing, but he can't force the legislature to act. We're faced with barriers, excuses, political posturing, and every reason in the world why we can't make change. We haven't done anything since April, and it's just like, they don't care. What do you say to those who say you should be acting today, you should have a vote and debate today? Well, it's just not how it works. Finger-pointing, photo ops, partisan talking points, it's nothing new. But with all eyes on Kenosha after police shot a black man seven times in the back, the politics of police shootings are now front and center. Six Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with my colleague, Fox 6 investigator Brian Polson. Hey, Brian. Good morning, Amanda. We're recording this episode on Thursday morning, September 3rd. Today, we are talking to probably the busiest man in all of local news, Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi. Jason, welcome back again to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I want to fact check that last comment. All of you are probably the busiest <laughs> reporters here. I, well, this has been a wild year, obviously, for so many things that have happened. It's a year unlike we've we've really seen, and we're in the middle of, obviously, a presidential election year, so the, the politics are ramped up. Wisconsin is a battleground state, so being a political reporter in Milwaukee, the home, well, the supposed home of the Democratic National Convention, quite a year to be doing what you're doing, and we know that you're, you're juggling an awful lot, but we're going to take you back in time a little bit. If we go back to Juneteenth, June 19th, the... Uh, uh, before the Kenosha police shooting, long before any of that, you had the, the governor and lieutenant governor propose a package of police reform bills. This was after, obviously, the George Floyd incident had raised attention across the country to uh, to, to issues of social unrest and, and police vi- or police uh, brutality. Um, it, that package of police reform bills, what inspired that? What was in there? And, and what really ever became of that? Right. So that package of bills were promoted by by Governor Evers. And in that package were things like, um, you know, providing a statewide uh, standards for the use of force so that, you know, no matter what department you're talking about, whether it's your you know, city police or your, your town or your village or, or the sheriff's department, that across the board, they have the same standards for the use of force. So that was part one. Uh, another one really was emphasizing that police officers' primary mission and their first duty is to preserve life 
and and only to use force as a very last resort. So that would have been one of the components of this. Um, it would also include um, continuing education, um, eight hours of training a year on the use of force, as well as on training the police officers, continuing to train them every year on de-escalation tactics and, and how to really get into a situation and, and try their best to, to de-escalate, to, to calm the situation down so, so that things become peaceful and calm in, in the community. Uh, there would include grants uh, for um, community organizations that were working to mediate conflicts in the community, which we, we see some of these groups working uh, in Milwaukee. They go into some of the harder hit areas where there's a lot of violence and they try to really work with um, you know community partners and, and, and pastors and just groups to try to really create peace in some of these uh, situations where there is conflict and, and, and there is violence. And then also this, um, this the legislation package would have uh, banned the use of chokeholds and, uh, and also banned no-knock uh, search warrants as well. So there was a lot in the package which Governor Evers uh, had promoted and asked for the legisl legislature to consider back on Juneteenth. Uh, a very special uh, day for uh, the African, you know, for, for the whole country, particularly for African Americans. And um, what was the impetus for this was the was the killing of, of George Floyd in Minneapolis. We saw nationwide um, protests as well as here in 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 Wisconsin. And so this was a reaction to that to say, okay, what can we, what can the state do to promote uh, healing, peace, and justice? And then also to try to transform um, the situation into action legislatively here in Wisconsin. So that's what he asked for Juneteenth. And um, the legislature did not pick up these bills. So then uh, he did finally call for a special session of the legislature after the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. He asked, uh, he did call a special session, and the governor does have that power constitutionally to call a special session, which he did, and it, and it did happen, uh, and it's still actually open at this point. So, Jason, what is a special session? Because if, if you're not following Wisconsin state politics closely, that may be a, a foreign term to some of our listeners. Right. So the legislature will agree at the beginning of a, of a session, they will agree to uh, certain dates that they're going to be meeting in person, uh, meeting in session. And but then there's two uh, two ways that you can call uh, a session outside of that normal schedule. And one is an extraordinary session. And that is when the leaders of the legislature themselves decide they're going to call themselves into a, into a session. That's an extraordinary session. And we saw that in the wake of um, uh, when, when Democrats took over and won the election um, against Scott Walker, um, so you saw Republicans moving to limit the incoming administration. Uh, then the, the second, um, besides an extraordinary session, which the legislature can call themselves, the governor has the constitutional power to call a special session, and it's always uh, on a particular topic. So the topic all of the legislation considered in a special session called by the governor needs to be germane to that topic. The topic here was uh, policing, and uh, so the legislature can look at any number of bills uh, that they want. But the governor cannot mandate a vote. He cannot mandate a debate. So what we're seeing right now is the legislature this week gaveled in on Monday uh, it was a 30-second session, both in the Assembly as well as in the State Senate, where they gaveled in. They said, okay, we're in session. This is a uh, special session. We've gaveled in. And uh, then they immediately took a, 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 a vote to, um, 
to take a recess until Thursday. Um, so this is how these special sessions have, have worked. They gaveled in. They didn't really have any debate or, or votes other than to vote to recess the special session. So the special session stays open. When we talk to Republicans, they're, they're thinking this is going to be a months-long process. Um, the Assembly Majority Leader Steinecke, he said that he hopes to have some consensus on policing and other issues as well, but related to uh, racial equity and issues like that. He wants to have some consensus ready to go by the first of the year. So this is a long process for Republicans. Now, Democrats have been firing back saying we, they don't want to wait months for action. They say action needs to happen right now. Jason, when you go back to when this uh, package of police reform bills was introduced, it was introduced by the governor and lieutenant governor on Juneteenth, obviously a very important day in African-American history and in American history in general, because it represents the emancipation of, of slaves when slavery ended. Um, some could argue that that was uh, a political stunt to do it on that day. Others could say it was perfectly appropriate, no more appropriate day to do it. The calling of the special session, knowing we have a divided legislature and, and governorship, uh, you could say that was uh, there was no real chance that this was going to happen. On the other hand, you could say that Republicans aren't doing their jobs because they gaveled in and gaveled out. Can you talk about just the politics of division that are going on here in, in, in what's behind all of this? Because it doesn't seem for, at any point here that there was really any idea that the governor and legislature were going to come together on something, at least not quickly. And and uh, and obviously that's not really new when it comes to things that have happened uh, between the, these two uh, bodies. But was there any real chance we were going to see some actual action on police reform bills with the divisions we have in Madison? Right. It's very, yeah, very difficult. And you saw even in the Senate, the Senate Judiciary, uh, uh, Chairman Van Wangard, um, when, when this original package was discussed back in June on Juneteenth, you know, he came out and said that, that these bills were obviously uh, clearly written by liberal activists. So, so there were, he's the, you know, the judiciary chairman, right? He's a former police officer himself. And uh, so you saw them sort of pouring cold water on this proposal. But what's going on sort of behind the scenes right now is, is it, it's actually not behind the scenes anymore. He, he, Senator um, Wangard has introduced um, his own sort of police reform uh, measures. And so I think right now there is a sense that um, – that things are being worked on, and 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 as you heard from the assembly leader, uh, assembly majority leader, they do want to reach some consensus. So you know, so you could look at it as this way: you know, the the democratic proposal, democratic proposal, uh, not not going to be considered, um, but. You know, you can see that Van Wangard is right now uh, uh, sharing these these uh, pieces of legislation, uh, his own proposals from a Republican perspective. He, he is sharing that with with Democrats, and he does tell me I spoke with him yesterday that there are Democrats that are signing on. They're actually sending that out to to members uh, yesterday to ask them to co-sponsor. So there's a real sense that they want to to make the, or at least from him, that he wants to try to make this some something bipartisan so that people can agree to it and then it can pass. Now it's not going to be as far. Um, as as the Democrats had hoped and, and wanted in, in their proposals. But uh, at the end of the day, as the majority leader said, they do want to reach some consensus by the first of the year. Now, uh, what is in Senator Van Wangard's proposal, uh, one of the things that he continually talks about is sort of like an N N NS, um, National Transportation uh, NTSB, like an NTSB for police um, uh, 
shootings. So when there is a police shooting, like we saw in Kenosha, that this this uh, task force, this uh, emergency response organization, would immediately go and investigate. And, and just like the um, the transportation uh, investigators go out there and they they really are quick and they get there and they they start investigating right away. So that's what he wants to see happen in these police shootings. But um, you know, will will his proposals be backed by Democrats? He he does say there are some that he's talking to uh, on various proposals, and that he does think he's got some buy-in from from Democrats. But uh, at the end of the day, um, there's been so much um, back and forth and blame game between Republicans and Democrats. It's really hard to see them all agreeing uh, on uh, on this package. But uh, at the end of the day, will will this be the chance for actual things to go forward? Maybe. Um, we do see the police union coming out with its own blueprint for change. Um, and so can can they kind of take some elements from the Democratic proposal, some elements from the police union, some elements from Senator Wangard, and kind of put them together? Uh, that'll be the question that we'll be watching in the coming weeks. But again, the Republicans did not gavel the session out. The session is still open. So it, it shows that there is uh, an interest in doing something, and, and Speaker, uh, the Assembly Speaker Robin Voss did set up a task force to look at various proposals and various pieces of legislation, and uh, they 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 want to hear from you know pastors and community activists and and you know people from all communities across the state. That's what they're saying they want to hear from. Um, so will that actually lead to some legislation? They're hoping it will on the Republican side. And will it be a consensus? That's also what they're what they're promising. Jason, you mentioned the proposed police reforms that Wisconsin Professional Police Association came out with. And I want to talk about that because to me, that's telling. To me, that's them saying, OK, we think there's going to be some kind of reform here. We want to have a say in what this is. And as I was going through their proposed reforms, uh, some of them were striking to me because they're similar to uh, some of the issues that the governor has called for the legislature to examine this package that the governor and lieutenant governor proposed. These A lot of these bills aren't new ideas. They've been floated around as bills in, in some cases since 2017, in some cases since 2014. So they've been kind of in the political realm for a while, but there's been really no action on them. But some of them, for example, this focus on de-escalation training. Every police officer I've talked to about this has said, we get so much de-escalation training. The, the issue isn't necessarily the training, it's the accountability in individual police departments about whether the departments are going to take that seriously, about whether they're going to set it as a priority, and whether they're going to hold people's feet to the fire to follow that. So my question is, how much of this change can happen from the state level versus realistically what's going to need to happen at the individual police department level? Right. And that's what that's what they're that's what the what the, the Wisconsin Professional Police Association is, is saying is that, you know, a lot of these things are are part of protocols across the state anyway. Like, for example, right now, uh, chokeholds are not are not included in the curriculum, right? So there is this proposal in the Democratic proposal to ban chokeholds, and um, you know, it, it again, it's not it's not being taught. So what what's the benefit of of mandating this across the state? Well, I guess it, it makes it makes everybody on on the same on the same page. So you see in the blueprint for for change, uh, you see 
them say, laying out these, these uh, facts that, that these things are being taught, um, these things are not being taught, rather, um, that you know, having a uniform code of conduct uh, for, for use of force, well, they, you know, everybody's already got these codes, but, but to have a, a uniform statute um, to, to make sure that the whole state is uniform would, would, would help. So, I mean, you're seeing them sort of suggesting that, hey, they're already doing a lot of these things, but um, maybe, maybe to have this statewide w- would, would help as well. Jason, it's clear that in 2020, the two probably greatest issues that have that have faced the country are COVID-19 and uh, issues of potential police reform or or uh, unrest over uh, police treatment of African-Americans. And this has become a Kenosha in particular has now become a flashpoint in the presidential race, as we've seen President Trump make a visit to Kenosha to tour damaged areas, even in the face of criticism that it was not a good time, that the Kenosha needed to heal. He made his visit. And now we see his challenger, Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden, also coming to Kenosha today. Uh, And by the time this podcast is produced, uh, that visit will probably already happen. But to see both candidates here in the state, especially after Joe Biden uh, just avoided the state of Wisconsin and avoided Milwaukee and accepted the nomination for president from his home state of Delaware rather than coming to Wisconsin. What does this say about the importance of what's going on with uh, social unrest and calls for police reform when you have both of these candidates coming to Kenosha in person to campaign? Yeah, so the, the visit of, of both candidates, I mean, this, this, this seems to be a turning point in the campaigns. You, you saw you know, the, the, our, the Republican National Convention really emphasizing what was happening in Kenosha. You heard both the vice president and President Trump mentioning Kenosha by name and, and, and talking about the violence and, and things like that and, and really emphasizing during their convention this theme of law and, law and order. Which is a, which is something that Republicans have have used, as, you know, in campaigns and many many times in the past, um, and and you really see that this is something that when you, I, I was talking to a Democratic, a longtime Democratic voter outside uh, in, in Kenosha, outside of this uh, site of this um, used uh, used car lot that had been completely torched, and, and and that that site had become sort of a memorial, so to speak, where people would come. And just reflect upon what happened in Kenosha. And as as I was talking to this, a longtime Democrat, we were, I said, "Well, does this impact your thinking about voting?" And she said, "Certainly, it does." And this longtime Democrat told me she was planning to vote for President Trump. And I think that you know Republicans are seeing this as an opportunity to um, appeal to potentially many voters, but potentially suburban voters um, on on promoting law and order. And kind of placing blame here on on democratic leadership and and, and uh, what we're seeing in Kenosha in particular, which is just absolutely fascinating, is the fact that uh, that was a county that Democrats had won for decades and since the 80s, and then President Trump actually won Kenosha County by only 255 votes. So when you talk about Wisconsin being one of the uh, most major swing states in the country. Well, the microcosm of that is Kenosha County, which is one of the, which was the tightest swing county in the state. So I've always been wanting to know how was Kenosha going to go this year is sort of a barometer for how the state was going to go. But now we're seeing both campaigns putting pretty much their feet on the ground in Kenosha and promote, you know, pitching the, the what's happening in the, the national and the world attention on Kenosha and kind of emphasizing different strands of that right now.
Uh, you'll see Joe Biden today uh, visiting with the Blake family and uh, having a community meeting, which he, the campaign says is intended to help bring about healing. We, we know the, the, the big knock on President Trump's visit was that he did not visit with the Blake family. He, he and his administration argued that it was because the Blake family wanted to have attorneys present. The president said that was inappropriate. But now you have Biden, who's probably following this because he feels really uh, forced to, to make that kind of a visit after President Trump did. Uh, but he is going to meet with the family. That seems like a pretty significant difference in in, uh, in his visit here to Kenosha. Exactly. No, it is totally a di different emphasis. Now, uh, the president president was asked about that by one of the pool reporters during his visit to Kenosha. And he was asked, you know, what's your message to the family? And he says he felt terribly terrible for what had happened, but it's still under investigation. Um, and, and, and as Amanda has done, you know, reporting on, on the DOJ, the Department of Justice here in Wisconsin and what they're doing in that investigation, it still is an open investigation about what happened there. And, um, so, so it, he did, though, President Trump did have the pastor of Jacob Blake's mom in attendance for that roundtable discussion in Kenosha this week, and the pastor did lead a prayer as well. But, um, but you're right, it is a, different, a difference here. President Trump did not meet with the Blake family. Uh, Joe Biden does plan to meet with the Blake family during his visit to Kenosha today. I've been reading a lot of John Dickerson's work lately about how the presidency has been has evolved. And one of the things he writes about is that this role has really evolved into what what we expect when we pick a president is we want someone who has the ability to kind of be comforter in chief. That's why there's an expectation when something happens that's such a flashpoint in the community for the rest of the country we expect the president to make a visit and the question is always when you're there to comfort who are you comforting so we know that the technical ways in which biden's visit schedule wise will differ from trump's but I i'm wondering jason what you're looking for today uh, during that Biden visit as as both of these candidates this week have tried to present their case to the American people. You look how presidential I am. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, one of the roles of, of the president now is is, you know, a comforter in chief. Um, you know, after after a, a national tragedy uh, or a national natural disaster, you know, the president is often called upon to console the nation. And uh, and so we're going to be watching for, you know, what Joe Biden says today to the family. But, you know, when President Trump visited there, there they, they did visit some of the destruction. Right. Kenosha. I mean, it, it is like I mentioned that that used car lot that had been completely torched. There was a B&L office furniture store, which. Uh, we we met the the owners there several times now, and um, their their whole building has been destroyed, and all of their inventory destroyed, and, and they're going to have to rebuild, and it's going to take them a whole year to rebuild. President Trump emphasized uh, that, and he he spoke with the Carpenter family there at their at their uh, business location, which is now just rubble, and he brought in. Uh, Aid. He he he's promising and pledging four million dollars to help small businesses in Kenosha rebuild. He's bringing in one million dollars. He says for policing in Kenosha, and then statewide, he's pledging forty-two million dollars for police, as well as hiring of new prosecutors and new counselors to help victims. So you can see uh, using the power of the presidency to to help Kenosha in that way, and also to emphasize 
the the destruction and, and the damage to these businesses and trying to help the businesses um, to rebuild. Will Joe Biden be visiting any of the damage, surveying any of the damage? Uh, I don't know. It's the, the, the Biden campaign has been really tight-lipped on what's going to happen. We do know there's that community meeting, and then also we know he'll be meeting with the Blake family, and that's what we know. And a very small amount of press allowed with uh, Vice President Biden. Right. There will be a national TV, uh, what we call a pool, and what that means is when, when, when somebody's traveling uh, – there's a small group of this will in this case it'll be a you know camera camera operator a sound technician uh, maybe a, you know a few reporters and um, you know just capturing with the with the with the vice president what he's doing they're not going to be having uh, all of us there with him and, and they're citing the the covid situation they say because of that they're only going to have this pool and and what that pool mean what that means is that that person will shoot the video, get the sound, capture the events, and share that with all of us that are members of the pool. So that's how pool operations work. And it's, it's very common at the White House that each of the networks will take a, a, a rotation as a, as a pool duty, and then they'll you know, tape that, and they'll share it with all of the networks. And uh, before anyone can go on air, they, they all have to share it with their with their um, with their competitors first. And, and that that's that's how they uh, keep these things uh, moving. When president's got a meeting in the Oval Office, for example, and they don't want to have, you know, 50,000 cameras in there, they will they will pool it. And, um, you know, one one group will go in, get the video and then share it with everybody else before broadcast. Jason, you, you mentioned what a microcosm Kenosha is of sort of the divisions in this country and of the battleground that Wisconsin is. We also know and we We've discussed on this podcast the importance that uh, that it played in 2016 when Hillary Clinton did not visit the state of Wisconsin to campaign leading up to the election and lost Wisconsin to uh, to President Trump. Uh, Joe Biden until now had not made that visit to Wisconsin uh, during the Democratic Convention. He accepted in Delaware. We also know the issues that that uh, Vice President Biden has faced, the questions he's faced over some of his missteps, his misstatements or slips when it comes to comments uh, about African-Americans and the importance of the African-American vote for Joe Biden to win this race. So uh, it seems like this visit in particular to not just Wisconsin, but specifically to Kenosha County on an issue very important to the African-American community, probably a very key visit for for Vice President Biden as we are now less than two months from Election Day. Right. uh, Two months away from Election Day. And, uh, you know, Democrats are asked, you know, Kenosha Democratic Party has has been a lot of people asking them, when is Biden coming? When is Biden coming? And it, you really saw, I was kind of alluding, getting, starting on this earlier, but you, you know, you saw that it seems like Democrats have, have seen, you know, started getting worried uh, uh, about, uh, you know, the, the ramifications of a purely virtual campaign, because up until very recently, uh, mostly all of the campaign events had been virtual. And now you're seeing him making moves. He was in Pittsburgh. That was the farthest he had traveled. And now he'll be f- traveling even farther. He'll be traveling to Kenosha. So you can see them, you know, trying to, to have a foot feet on the ground in some of these very important swing states. And uh, he did last week say he, he did plan to travel according to the health conditions on the ground and health, following the health practices of health officials. But he did he did plan on visiting the battle, some of the battleground states. And now we know, yes, it is going to be happening in Kenosha. But again, so many questions from Democrats about when he was going to come, because that was one of the one of the 
you know, we hear that again and again, that Hillary Clinton did not visit during the general election, at least. She did not visit Wisconsin back in 2016. And also not only that, but uh, the ad money, they, they did not uh, spend much in this battleground state. And so there's a lot to learn there. But now this time around, you can if you turn on the TV at any point in time, you're probably going to be hearing campaign ads. The Trump campaign and the Biden campaign launched new ads just this week. Uh, one of them from the Trump campaign is particularly talking all about Kenosha. So you're seeing the ad money just flooding into the state of Wisconsin, and uh, and it just emphasizes how important both parties see this key battleground state to winning the election. As, as so many people say here, the road to the White House runs right through Wisconsin. Well, Jason, we'll let you go because we know you have a busy day ahead of you, but Thank you so much for joining us, and I'm sure we'll have you back on Open Record soon. Thanks for having me. And of course, we're going to continue bringing you these twice weekly episodes of Open Record. We are in the home stretch, or at least entering the home stretch of the presidential campaign. COVID-19 pandemic is obviously still an ongoing issue. So much more to talk about. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record. If you haven't done that already, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Tuesday. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.